Greetings. Welcome to The Point Being, Ipsos's public polling podcast. This is episode 41, and today is March 5th. Apologies, we're a little late this week getting our podcast out. Last week was a little bit busy. I am your host, Chris Jackson, Director of Polling here at Ipsos. I am joined by the always brilliant Mallory Newell. Why, thank you. And our favorite subject matter expert, Dr. Janine Beekman. Hi, everyone. So we have a lot to cover this week. Uh, A lot of interesting research has been produced in the last week and a half, two weeks or so. But I wanted to start with a poll that we released with NPR a little over a week ago on sexual harassment, particularly sexual harassment in the workplace, and what people see as what is acceptable or not acceptable. Mallory, what what does the data tell us? Thanks, Chris. So we tested a series of of 12 workplace behaviors in this poll. And each one we asked people to rate on a scale from one, meaning they feel it's completely inappropriate, to seven, meaning that they feel it's completely appropriate. Uh, All of that is to say that of the 12 behaviors, the worst ones, the ones that the majority of the American public, or a plurality at least, tended to find the, the most egregious or the most inappropriate are actually gossip-based behaviors. So what that means is spreading rumors about a coworker's romantic life or sex life, talking about someone's sexual preferences or history at work, telling sexually, suggest- sexually suggestive stories or jokes in a professional setting. So these behaviors that involve telling stories or gossip about people rather than actual incidents of touching, you might say, are perceived to be almost worse by people. So, so that's that's interesting, actually. So, so Dr. Beekman, why is it that we see gossip as being seen as actually kind of worse than even some of these sort of creepy, touchy behaviors that I would sort of think might be might be worse before we saw this data? Yeah, actually, I thought this was the most interesting finding of them all um, because really it comes down to gendered aggression, and what I mean by that is typically um, aggression is seen as either like relational aggression, which is like gossipy or, you know, spreading rumors, etc., um, or physical aggression, which is mm-hmm. that, you know, you're touching, you're maybe on the face creepier stuff. And the fact that people found um, the, the gossipy relational aggression to be just, it was, I don't think it was worse, but it was at least just as bad or on par with the physical aggression um, is pretty surprising on its face. But if you think about it as a gendered issue, like those, um, the relational aggression, which is typically a more feminine female aggression, um, is seen as super bad um, and maybe unexpected or something you shouldn't do. And the more male um, physical um, aggression is maybe a little bit more excused or a little bit seen, seen as a little bit more gray. And what's interesting is, I mean, this was almost universal, right? So 90 per- 97% of the American public said that spreading rumors about a coworker's romantic life or sex life was inappropriate. Almost everybody. Hmm. <laughs> and I guess that goes to Janine's point that, like, everyone can say gossip's bad, but maybe there's a lot of guys who don't necessarily say some of the touchy stuff's bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so that actually uh, brings me to another question. So we had a whole bunch of questions. We sort of created an index of what was acceptable, not acceptable. Who, as a group, thought things were sort of the most reasonable or acceptable? Who were sort of our potential rule breakers, as it were? Uh, men aged 18 to 34. Really? The I millennial don't, guys. <laughs> the millennial guys. I don't know that I would classify them as rule breakers, mm-hmm. but... 
they are the group that are most likely to um, maybe feel like there's a gray area with a lot of these behaviors. Mm. Certainly the ones that on this scale overall tended to uh, err on the side of thinking these behaviors were more appropriate mm -hmm. than women of the same age and of older people regardless really? of so gender. Really? So it wasn't like boomer males that were the worst? Because they're the ones who've been getting called out in the media for the last almost year as the, you know, the real me, the real v villains of the Me Too movement. Um, no, Janine, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was actually our Gen X and maybe younger baby boomer men aged yes. 35 to 54 <laughs> that were actually, um, they tended to come down pretty hard on most of these issues. Well, though, I'll point out at the same time, uh, we, we also asked about experiences with these behaviors and perpetrating these behaviors. Mm -hmm. And it was actually, and I'm not just saying this for Chris's benefit, um, these Gen X, I guess you could say, um, males who seem to um, maybe admit to the behaviors, but also see that they were wrong, which is a very, I mean, like cognitive dissonance, right? That's very hard to do. Um, you, have to, you have to really kind of go out of your way and be you know, pretty aware of things that are going on to say, yeah, I did this, and yeah, it's bad and inappropriate. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas the millennial men, um, you know, we, they're kind of held up to be, at least millennials, are, they want to think of themselves as allies or, or you know, progressive maybe um, in this realm, but they're, this, our data indicates that they're potentially problematic allies um, if they see this, if they see more gray than, that's, than perhaps they should. That's really interesting. So, so the millennial males, the, you know, the, the, the sensitive guy um, are, are some of the potentially problematic ones. What might be causing that? What might be behind that? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I mean, it, potentially the, um, they also could, hmm, they could be uh, more aware of the behaviors generally than, than the older men and kind of, or maybe more aware that they're going on, therefore think it's more acceptable because, like, normatively it's going on, um, which, is kind of, which is kind of backwards. Um, from how we would normally think about it, but um, I'm not I'm not entirely sure. Hmm. It's an interesting finding, though. That is interesting. So, what else from the study was of note? So, the other thing that I wanted to point out is the behaviors. You know, in addition to asking appropriateness, we also asked if you've seen them happening to others and if they've ever happened to you. Mm -hmm. And the behaviors that top both of those lists are um, male coworkers commenting on female coworkers appearance and then vice versa a female coworker commenting on a male coworker's appearance and then asking questions about a coworker's uh, social life which was definitely one of our more gray behaviors um, but two-thirds or more of Americans say that one of these three things they've seen happening to others mm -hmm. in the workplace uh, and they also topped the list in terms of have they ever happened to you? Mm -hmm. And on the commenting on others' appearance, where did people come down on saying if that was okay or not? Um, there's not really a gender difference here, not much anyway. So 49% of the American public says that a male coworker commenting on a female coworker's appearance is inappropriate. 46% of Americans agree that a female coworker commenting on a male coworker's appearance hmm. is inappropriate. So yeah, so that is very much sort of people are not totally sure where right. they where they fall on that issue. Interesting, very interesting. Um, anything else from this study uh, of notes? Nope, I think that pretty much covers it. Great. So we will move right along. So that was published with NPR. Uh, Friday a week ago. You can find a uh, full write-up on the story 
on the Ipsos website or on NPR's webpage. Uh, really fascinating stuff. Um, the second topic for today's podcast is the core political release from last week. Again, we're a few days out of date for this release, but Mallory, what are the numbers showing us? Sure. So Chris, instead of thinking about it as out of date, just think of this as bonus content and Yay. we'll have new numbers two days from now on Wednesday. <laughs> Yay. Yay! Bonus content. <laughs> All right. So um, not much has changed. Um, basically the long and short of it, a majority of the American public still feels like things are headed off on the wrong track in this country. 57%. Um, the president's approval rating as of last week uh, has been steady pretty much where it's been the past couple weeks. 40% of Americans approve of the job he's doing. That number continues to be driven exclusively by Republicans. Uh, the main problem facing the country uh, continues to be health care, though that number did decline a little bit, perhaps given um, some of the recent events, the, the school shooting down in Florida. Um, and then we've seen crime and other sort of tick up a little bit, which seems to indicate to me that maybe there's some other driving factors here mm -hmm. behind the main problem. And then the last thing I'll note is just about uh, Congress. Um, you know, not I think we've talked a lot about in recent weeks how sort of the executive branch isn't particularly viewed strongly. The legislative branch isn't either. Um, and if you look ahead to November 2018, I think there's still a pretty big question mark of what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. In terms of the generic congressional ballot, uh, right now a generic Democrat just has a six-point lead over a generic Republican candidate, 37% to 31%. Um, Hard to say, hmm. you know, and it hasn't been, a Democrat has led since we've started asking this question, but uh, the lead seems to be shrinking slightly. Um, I think, you know, a lot determines to be seen in terms of what happens on gun control, on trade, uh, if Democrats are going to get any bit of a boost. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing I'll mention is, um, Right after, see, timing is perfect. Right after we released our core political numbers last Wednesday, which includes the Wexit poll, the White House exit poll, I think it was, what, 20 minutes or so that yeah. Hope Hicks announced her <laughs> resignation? That's right. So just goes to show that there's, there's always surprises, and even pollsters and people that study these numbers week to week can be surprised. That's right, and Hope Hicks was not very high on the Wexit poll. She was at 4 or 5%. Yeah, she had been holding steady at 4 or 5%. Yeah, nobody really saw her on her way out, certainly I mean, not compared to Sessions or Tillerson, who right. are the perennial favorites. Um, wanted to return back to one of the ones you mentioned, the main problems issue. Uh, we actually fielded a separate study uh, that was released on last Thursday uh, with NPR that was about gun control. And it was a follow-up on a study we had done last October after the Las Vegas shooting on the same topic. And given the Florida shooting, we thought it prudent to field another study, uh, ask another set of questions, see if opinion has changed over the last four months or so. Um, so Mallory, to start off with that poll, we asked the main problem in a slightly different way. We asked about what worries people. And what, what did Americans tell us they were worried about? 
Yeah, Chris, this is really interesting. Uh, currently, in our poll released last Thursday, uh, crime or gun violence is now one of the most worrying problems in America. So we asked the same question in October, mm -hmm. uh, a little bit after the, the Las Vegas shooting. Uh, and this number, the number of people saying crime or gun violence is uh, their biggest concern increased 10 points. It's now at 37%. Uh, it's also the single top issue of concern for both Democrats and independents. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, after uh, mass casualty events like this, concerns around gun violence and crime often surge. So I think it's something that we want to keep an eye on in the future. But it is interesting mm -hmm. to see because our October poll, you know, unfortunately also took place a little bit after another mass casualty event. So um, it's it was definitely interesting to see that increase. Right. So our October survey was also in a period of heightened awareness, showed a pretty strong number that was concerned about gun violence. But after the Florida shooting, that number had actually climbed. So people were even more worried, even though the Vegas shooting was actually had more fatalities and was the largest mass shooting in American history. Right. Um, this Florida shooting seems to have crystallized opinion in a slightly different way. What else did the poll find, uh, Mallory, that uh, that was of note? So one thing that I think is really important is that um, currently three-quarters of Americans say that gun laws should be more strict than they are today. Uh, this is another number that we've seen increase since our first poll in October. Uh, it's up seven percentage points from 68%. Mm-hmm. And is that partisan driven or, you know, is it Republicans on one side and Democrats on the other? Uh, no, even a majority of Republicans, 59% feel that gun laws should be more strict. Now, obviously, there is a partisan gap. Mm -hmm. Virtually all Democrats, more than 9 in 10, right. agree that gun laws should be more strict. But you've got um, a vast majority of Democrats, more than two-thirds of independents, and like I said, almost 60% of Republicans. Hmm. So... It's, it's across the board. So, Janine and Mallory, so, you know, there's been, unfortunately, a lot of mass shootings in this country over the past, you know, couple of decades. But this one seems to have crystallized opinion and mobilized people in a way that's a little bit different than what we've seen in the past. What, what's, what might be causing that? What might be behind that? Well, I'm not sure necessarily what's behind it per se, but what I do think is interesting about this particular event, um, maybe because, you know, it's driven by these, like, kind of perfect, I guess you could say, advocates and these these children or these high school students from Parkland who are, you know, kind of old enough to be, to, to speak out, but mm -hmm. young enough that they're, you know, there's sort of sympathy for them and mm -hmm. you kind of have to listen to them, depending on what side you're on. Um, but either way, you know, whether it's this, driven by the students or something else, um, you know, typically in the face of of these things in the face of tragedy, in the face of fear, um, in the face of some kind of like violent threat, um, even if it's secondary, even if you're watching it on TV, uh, people typically, and there's lots of really elegant theory around this, but people typically tend to cling, for lack of a better word, to their existing beliefs. So mm -hmm. like um, things that are really scary or, or incite a lot of fear um, polarize us more mm -hmm. uh, because we, um, there's a really elegant theory called terror management theory that says that when, when our mortality is made salient, when we, when we think about death or we're reminded of death or we're afraid, um, we resort to um, thinking about and clinging to 
uh, our our worldviews and our values and what's mm -hmm. important to us. So um, we've seen in the past, like you know, and whenever there's a, a mass a mass casualty event, uh, we kind of go through the same rigmarole of everybody's kind of flies to their sides and and is, it fights about it for a while, and then eventually it kind of simmers down and on to the next. But this time, um, I mean, our polls show that pretty much across the board, even on on the Republican side or um, on the side that you would expect to to be a, to not support um, gun laws, seventy five percent support gun laws. They're, we're gelling. We seem to be gelling around this, and and probably on um, and we can look at the numbers, but probably on some solutions over others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's a great point, Janine. So we tested a series of specific policy proposals when it comes to uh, gun violence prevention. And for most of them, all but one, in fact, and I will get to that in a minute, hmm. uh, there is um, broad bipartisan support. So uh, take, for example, banning assault-style weapons. Nearly three-quarters of the American public are in favor of banning assault weapons, including over half of Republicans and two-thirds of independents. Now, of course, this number among Democrats tends to be higher, but you do get cross-party support for banning assault weapons, uh, banning high-capacity ammunition magazines, banning firearm attachments, meaning bump stocks that allow mm -hmm. a gun to act like an assault rifle right. or an automatic weapon. Made in famous in the Las Vegas shooting. And then I think that one in particular really stands out with very broad support, and that's requiring background checks for all gun buyers. Mm -hmm. Virtually all Americans, 94%, support requiring background checks for all gun buyers, including almost 90% of Republicans. Hmm. Now, like I said, there's one proposal that sort of lags behind the rest, and that is training teachers to carry guns in right. schools. Which has <laughs> been something that President Trump's actually been advocating yeah, somewhat on about on and off. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's, this is the only proposal we tested where a majority of the American public actually opposes it. So 59% of Americans oppose the idea of training teachers to, to have guns in mm -hmm. schools. Um, this is also the one where we see a little bit of partisan difference, mm -hmm. right? So Democrats, definitely not in favor of this. A majority of independents, not in favor. Mm -hmm. But two-thirds of Republicans favor training teachers to carry guns in schools. Hmm. Now, I will note, however, that we also tested a list of ways um, to reduce gun violence in schools. So arming teachers, having stricter gun laws, having armed security guards, things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and of this list of, of five possibilities, arming teachers with guns fell to the bottom of the list um, across all groups. It was one of the bottom two proposals among Republicans, too. All right. So, what were the top two ways people thought would best stop gun violence Having stricter gun laws. Uh, mm -hmm. That took the lead among Democrats and independents, uh, as well as having armed security guards in schools. Hmm. So, uh, Janine, I, I know you actually teach a little bit uh, <laughs> as a, a, bit, a bit of a side hustle. Yes. Uh, are you ready to be strapped? 100% not. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not going to walk into your class with your, your, your Glock and on I your I mean, hip. I just say many things would happen all bad. <laughs> all bad. All right, fair enough. Um, so one of the peculiar things about uh, the gun control debate is there's actually a bit of a paucity of science on 
uh, sort of the, the, the trends or the history behind gun violence in the United States. Uh, I know we asked a question, Mallory, about the uh, government research into gun violence. Where was the American public on that issue? So we asked people whether they agreed or disagreed with uh, the following statement. There should be a ban on government funding for gun violence research. Uh, nearly two-thirds of the American public disagrees. They do not support a ban on government research mm -hmm. into gun violence. Uh, and that's across the board. Okay. And now I know, Janine, this is actually a topic you've done a little bit of uh, prior research into. Mm -hmm. uh, what, is, what does this particular data point tell you? Yeah. So thank you so much for asking. I love talking about this as, as a health researcher, especially. Um, there is a um, there is in fact um, a ban on uh, effective ban actually on gun um, violence on gun research research into gun safety gun violence um, at the CDC and it's a it's a it's a rule called the Dickey Amendment um, that was put forth in 1996 I think uh, by Jay Dickey a Republican lawmaker at the time um, that prevents the CDC from conducting any. Um, research that could be used to advance, I'm getting the exact words wrong, but to advance the, um, mm -hmm. to advance the gun control debate or something like that. Um, and yeah, sure enough, last, uh, last year around July, um, we did an experiment into perceptions um, of this rule and specifically how partisanship and political messaging affect people's perceptions of this ban. Mm -hmm. um, and from that, uh, the outcome of that experiment, I know we're not talking about that now, but it's relevant, I'll, I'll circle back. Um, the outcome of that experiment was basically um, if your political party supports lifting this ban then mm -hmm. you support lifting this ban and more so than gun ownership mm -hmm. or any other any other factor you know political party and a political a messenger from your political party was able to sway you um and now fast forward to you know march 2008 or oh my gosh <laughs> 2018 um we are seeing this um in our in our recent poll more or fewer people support um, a ban this type of ban than did in that um, experiment last July. Mm -hmm. um, granted, there's a caveat that was um, aided. We, t we informed them what the Dickey Amendment is and that there is, in fact, this rule in place, and we didn't do that this time. Uh, but the numbers went from, um, let's see, 37% um, back then agreeing that there should be a ban and to now 23% agreeing mm -hmm. that there should be a ban. And from the me political messaging perspective, we're also seeing in real time uh, um, some even Republican um, lawmakers coming out in support of lifting this ban. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have any names in front of me. Oh, well, actually, the, the um, Health and Human Services Secretary um, supported at least temporarily um, you know, lifting this ban or at least examining, mm -hmm. um, introducing more gun violence research at the CDC. Um, Florida representative, she's a Democrat, Stephanie Murphy, put, put forward a, um, a bill um, and which is currently being debated and is gaining bipartisan support. So, um, you know, based on the combination of what we what we looked at last summer and sort of the changes that we're seeing now, um, this could be. I mean, it is yet to be seen, but this change in research funding at the government level into gun violence might be um, the first thing that changes. And it's interesting too, along those lines, um, nearly three quarters of the American public agrees that gun violence is a public health issue, mm -hmm. which I think feeds really nicely into the point that you were making about um, people not supporting a ban on research around this topic anymore. Hmm. Fascinating. So one of the things I thought 
interesting from this particular study is we released it the day after uh, President Trump had his sort of press conference briefing thing where he seemingly embraced a bunch of gun control measures, then to back off a little bit later in the week under pressure from the National Rifle Association, among others. But one of the interesting things is this study actually shows that Republicans, the rank-and-file Republicans, are actually supportive of a broad measure of gun control, which means the president was closer to them on Wednesday than most of the other Republican establishment. And that's actually something we've seen in the past. When he first announced his support for the wall or for ending trade deals, those were things Washington Republicans said were anathema that rank-and-file Republicans actually liked and thought were a good idea. And I think this might be another instance where Trump actually understands the base better than you know, congressional or Senate Republicans. That is true. However, I think it's worth pointing out that two-thirds of your rank-and-file Republicans in the public say that the NRA represents the views of people like people like them, which is exactly where it was back in October. True. Now, overall, this number has gone down, but that is due to both Democrats and independents alike mm-hmm. uh, who are now less likely to say than they were last year that the NRA represents the views mm-hmm. of people like them. So the NRA really has become, for all intents and purposes, a Republican Party identifier. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Has become, was. Well, you know, there was a long time where there was a lot of blue dog Democrats who bragged about their high rating from the National Rifle Association. Mm, true. That seems to be increasingly less common. Uh, anything else from this poll uh, worth noting? Yeah, the last thing I'll say, going back to uh, talking about the midterms and the generic congressional ballot, uh, I think guns and issues around gun violence, uh, it certainly still remains to be seen what effect this could have on the electorate come November. But it is worth noting that two-thirds of the American public, now this is Americans, not registered voters, but two-thirds say that gun-related issues will be a strong factor in their decision for whom Hmm. to vote come November. And if you look at folks that say uh, gun laws should be more strict than they are now, that number is even higher. Hmm. Well, so we are a couple of weeks out from the March to Save Our Lives uh, being sort of put together by a lot of these... Uh, young people uh, emerging from from the tragic events in Florida. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot more research, public polling on the topic. I'm pretty sure Ipsos is going to be doing some of that research. So stay tuned for the next couple of editions of The Point Being, and we'll hopefully be able to update you with more insight and more information about the state of America. Thank you for being with us.